Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Here is RP3 and Company, Way Back Wednesday edition. The Houston Astros are on a roll, shutting out the Seattle Mariners for the second straight night. LSU, meanwhile, gives up some runs late, but they win their midweek contest. And our friends in Lake Charles, the McNeese Cowboys, run rule old conference foe Stephen F. Austin, it was a good night on the diamond. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch III. Joined in the game studios by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. It's a very, very foggy morning out there this morning. Make sure you're careful. Don't rush it. Be safe out there this morning, okay? Until the fog starts to lift, once the sun continues to rise, there's a lot of dense fog to deal with here in Acadiana this morning and over in Lake Charles. So please be careful on your morning commute to work and school today. We do appreciate you being here with us, making us part of your morning commute, whether you listen to us on your radio dial or on the free game mobile app. Or maybe you're listening to us on Alexa, Google Home. Or if you live here in Acadiana, you're catching us on the simulcast. Watching us on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. Either way, we appreciate you. we got a great show lined up for you today on this Way Back Wednesday edition. We have Ron Higgins. Man's taking time off from the movie set and cruise ships to talk LSU sports with us. Our friend from Tiger Details. That'll be coming up today. Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast will join us for the Big Easy Blitz breaking down the NFL draft. He already has an article up about their draft. You can read it at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, but he'll recap the Saints draft as well as the Tyron Matthews signing. That'll be coming up today as well. And then from CBS Sports Radio, host of JR Sports Brief, J.R. Jackson will be joining us. We're going to talk a little NBA playoffs and more with J.R. So, got three great guests lined up for you today. Of course, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call on the hotline. Game hotline is 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. But we're going to start off today's show talking about the Houston Astros. This happens with the poor Mariners. Poor Hannah Five names this team. 
they do so well in April. And the Astros, on the other hand, are usually, as history tells us, are sluggish, slow starters. They're not good in the month of April. And they've been banged up, right? Jordan Alvarez has missed some time. Jose Altuve's missed some time. So they've been banged up. They're not 100%. Hell, they don't even have Lance McCullers Jr. yet. Yet when the calendar turns to old May, the Astros start to turn it on. And every year with this group that they have, this core, if you will, of Altuve and Bregman, that once the calendar turns to May, the Astros begin heating up. They start to find their groove, if you will. Seattle, meanwhile, once the calendar turns to May, they start to struggle. And that's how it's been for more than a few years for the Mariners. Now, they have a nice young core. I still believe that they're going to be fighting for a wild card spot this year. But for the Astros, who couldn't string together consistent series at all to this point this year, man, calendar turns to May, and they play Seattle at home at the big juice box, and they've posted now back-to-back shutout victories. Like, this isn't just a win, which would be good enough for the Strohs, the way they've been playing to start the season. No, this is a second consecutive shutout. And the Astros' bats are teeing off on Seattle's pitching. With, you know, home runs. As our our proud Seattle Mariners fan is over there mocking me while I'm opening up our show together. She's over there. Yeah, yeah. It it is May. You got a long season to deal with the bitterness of your team. You can't, you better pace yourself there, miss five names, because if not, you're not gonna make it to the fourth of July. Long season, 162 games. But the Strohs, here they are, rolling right along. Last night, record the 4 nothing victory. They improved to 13-11. and Mariners fall to 12-12. and And just like that, the Astros are above the Mariners in the AL West standings. Just in a matter of a few games. But this is what the Strohs do every year. Dusty Baker gets his 2,000th career win as skipper. Becomes just the 12th manager in Major League Baseball history to reach that milestone. And it was a total team effort for the Strohs. They only got five hits in the game. But they made them count. Timely hits. That's what matters. They got the timely hits. Altuve back in the lineup after his rehab assignment with the Sugarland Space Cowboys. He only got one hit in this game, but it was a solo shot. Solo home run. Alvarez only got one hit, but it was a two-run jack. Pena, the rookie shortstop, the man who's replacing Carlos Correa, continues on his tear going two for four with two RBIs as well. 
Well, that kid sure does look like he belongs, doesn't he? In the big leagues. The bats got the timely hits with the long ball. And credit Christian Javier, who improves to 2-0 on the season because he was, well, really good. Really, really good. And he's been that way his last few outings. Last night, five and a third, only gave up two hits, no runs, of course, struck out four. His ERA now in the season is 0.96. And then Dusty goes to the pin. He doesn't wear out Javier here early in the season. So he brings in Taylor, who pitches a inning in two-thirds, only gives up one hit. And then the rest of the bullpen comes in for two innings, only giving up one hit as well. Nice pitching effort. Nice effort from the bullpen. Dusty gets his milestone. The Strohs shut out the Mariners back-to-back games. Alvarez gets his eighth home run of the season. That's what we call a good pace, by the way. It's a good pace. And the Strohs, just like that, have now flipped it on the Mariners. And now they'll go for winning three games in a row against their AL West foes. Today, with a little day baseball. There'll be no Jordy Holberg show today. You can listen to day baseball live from Minute Maid Ballpark right here on the game. As the Strohs and Mariners lock horns yet again. In his three career starts against the Mariners, Astros pitcher Christian Javier hasn't allowed a run in 18 and a third innings. So if you're a Seattle Mariners fan and Javier is pitching that day, you can pretty much go ahead and say, I'm going to go do something else. Because this guy owns us. So far to start his career. Just a phenomenal performance. Flexing gets tagged with the loss. He's now 1-4 on the year for the Mariners. He is going the opposite direction. If you're Seattle, you're kind of hoping that he would uh, be better than that. Pitching's always been kind of their issue. Their depth of pitching has always been kind of an issue for Seattle. And then you look at the standings. AL West, the Angels still lead the division 15-10 and 10 overall. But the Astros are now only a game and a half back, 13-11. and 11. It's early, but look at the last 10. Last 10 games, Angels and Astros are 7-3 and three overall. The Mariners are 4-6. and six. The Athletics are 2-8. and eight. And the Poor Rangers are 5-5. Five and five. Trending. Trending. Once again, long season here. Long season. Five names. But your Seattle Mariners are not in a good way right now. Not in a good way. How you doing over there? I see you're wearing black today. Is that because you're in mourning because your team got shut out for the second consecutive day? No, not at all. 
I am, uh, I'm awake. Bravo, bravo. Back on the mic. I had a hiatus of That's my right. mic not wanting to talk to me. That's right. Technical issues yesterday. <laughs> um. Which which was great. She opens <laughs> up the mic and she starts to talk and I'm like, I don't hear you. I gave you the sign yesterday. Can't hear uh-huh. you. <laughs> Can't Hello. There's nothing coming through. So it was just RP3 <laughs> solo edition yesterday. So it's fine. It's glad that you're back. Glad Thank to have you. you back on the air with me. Thank you so much. So how do we feel about you and Kevin, though? Because this is the first time the Mariners and the Astros have faced, he, faced each other this year, right? Or no? No, uh-uh. this is we That's right. You guys won the first two, series. That's right. Two out of three last series. There we go. Okay. So. So now, now he's. So what was. Did you guys talk at all yesterday? Um. About the first game, the first shutout? We didn't talk too much about it. Uh, he was like, you know, I'm going to do better. I was like, well, see, man. see, he, you can't talk trash with this man. I can't. You can't so because he's like, automatically look. being supportive of your team and then automatically turns around and down and, and, and will be critical of his own team. It's what he does. Yeah. It's, it's a mind trick. It's a mind trick. It's like a Jedi mind trick. It's a genius move. So I'm be like foot and say, I just want to avoid the sweep. As he said, <laughs> Last series. I just want to avoid the sweep. I just want to avoid the sweep. That's all. That's all he wants to do. Got to avoid the sweep today. Once again, Astros, Mariners, live for Minute Maid Ballpark, day baseball, 110 first pitch, and we'll have it for you. Uh, the Mariners are throwing Matt Brash. He's taking the mound for your team. By the way, he, he's going up against Justin Verlander. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, he's yeah. He's mm-hmm. really good. Like like future Hall of Fame good, so be a great day, guys. <laughs> hey, and you know what? The game will start, and you you will get off work, and you'll be able to listen to the game. There we go. Yep. There we go. Just keep it on the radio dial. Just can't get out of my car because <laughs> in case you didn't know, we can't do it on the app. I was so sad. I'm like at bowling, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch the game. And then they're like, oh, we cut the subscription for Major League Baseball. So both channels are black screen. You be mad at your bowling alley. <laughs> okay? It's got nothing to do with us. You be mad at your bowling alley. You write a stern letter to the folks where you bowl your league games at and say, hey, what are you doing here? What are you doing? Right. So you take care of that. Instead, I watched the NBA playoffs and uh, – softball and he was like Tennessee versus something tech I can't really see it was too far down the lane I couldn't really see what <laughs> so you were watching someone else's television <laughs> program you were that person yeah. while you're in bowling you're looking down that line oh look what they got over there oh, oh. yeah it was like oh. half half the lanes were like all NBA playoffs the other half was Tennessee's softball and versus somebody that I couldn't even see because it was so far down I was like don't want to watch NBA right now. <laughs> Once again, that'll be something that you'll have to resolve with your bowling alley. <laughs> we do have a poll question of the day. We do. It is Wednesday. As you know, on Wednesday's edition of RP3 and Company, our poll question of the day is a foodie poll question. It seems like great time. Crawfish Festival is this coming weekend over in Bro Bridge after a two year hiatus. It's coming back. A lot of buzz about that. It's festival season, right? Yes. We had 
the Boudin Festival in Scott, A2 Festival in Arneville, Festival International in downtown Lafayette. We have we have the Rain Frog Festival on the docket. We got Crawfish Festival. So seems like a good time to bring this up because it is the great debate when it comes to crawfish. It's the great debate. And it's our poll question of the day. We need to hear from you. Do you suck out the heads of boiled crawfish? Some people do. Some people don't. Some people think it's gross. Some people say it does not matter. Some people say, hey, you're not really sucking out brains or anything because crawfish don't have them. Right. Okay. Some people say it's the most delicious part of the crawfish. Others would say you're crazy. Straight up poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. Do you suck out the heads of boiled crawfish? Yes or no? Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we're going to update it throughout today's show. Woo! Oh, there it is. Also, way back Wednesday edition. Look at five names with the music today. We got more coming up. Give us a call on the hotline. Game hotline 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We got more flavor in your ear coming up right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. P3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom, you have a shot at even a bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same-game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use promo code 1037GAME. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code 1037GAME only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Availability does vary by parish. Eligibility restrictions do apply. So go check out DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full terms and conditions. Let off today's show talking about the Houston Astros recording their second straight shutout over the Seattle Mariners. Now the Astros are second in the AOS standings above the Mariners. Verlander will pitch today for the Strohs. 
as they try to sweep the Mariners there at Minute Maid Ballpark. First pitch for that game will be at 110. And you can listen to it live right here on the game. Let's talk a little bit more about this game and the milestone that occurred. Dusty Baker becomes just the 12th skipper in Major League Baseball history to reach the 2000 victory plateau. Just the 12th. He's also the first African-American manager to do so. Pretty significant milestone. And he's been in the big leagues as a manager for 29 years. More than 29 years. Now, he was a very good player back in the day. But he is been a manager in Major League Baseball for, for nearly three decades. He did great all those years in San Francisco, but they could never get over the hump. And that's the big thing on Dusty's resume. You look at Dusty's resume, and there's only one thing missing from it. World Series Championship. That's it. He's done everything else. He's coached MVPs. He's won division titles. He's won pennants. He's won 2,000 games. Great manager. Make no bones about it. Great manager. One thing missing. World Series Championship. And he's been there, and he's lost. I'd like to point out, Bobby Cox lost a bunch of World Series, too, and only won one. We hold him in high regard. As we should. He's a Hall of Famer. Dusty Baker will be a Hall of Famer as well. Giants probably should have gotten one. Unable to do so there. The great Cubs team, the Berkman ball game, you know, where the Cubs got in their own way mentally and should have went to the World Series. That didn't happen. He's a great skipper, though. Absolute great skipper. Only the 12th man ever. He's 72 years old. And remember, Houston reached out to him because they wanted a steady force. They wanted a guy that could talk to the media, deal with the litany of questions, and a guy that was going to be respected in the locker room once the Astros parted ways with their GM and obviously their skipper, A.J. Hinch, following the trash cans. Dusty came out of retirement for that. Five different teams. And he's led five different teams, by the way. Giants, Cubs, Reds, Nationals, and Astros to the postseason. The only manager to ever achieve that. To take five different teams to the playoffs. He's also only one of nine managers to win pennants in both leagues. Guiding the Giants to the World Series in 2002 and then the Astros last year in 2021. And his 40 career postseason victories as a skipper are tied for eighth all-time with Terry Francona. Great personality. Lifelong baseball guy. Don't forget, he played in the big leagues for 19 years. I can't remember a time in my life and 
Kevin Foote could probably talk on this even more so. Kevin probably can't remember a time in his life where Dusty Baker wasn't part of baseball for an extended period of time. 20 years as a player, 30 years as a skipper. That's half a century in the big leagues. Think of it that way. Dusty Baker has spent half a century in Major League Baseball. And he was a damn good player, too. Nearly had 2,000 hits and nearly 250 home runs. He was a good player. Of the 11 managers with more wins than Baker, because he's the 12th now to get to 2,000, which means there's 11 guys ahead of him on that list, right? 10 of them are in the Hall of Fame, by the way. Once you get to the 2,000 win plateau, that's usually a done deal. That has been automatic to get into the Hall of Fame if you're a baseball manager. Now you're asking, who's the 11th? That's Bruce Bochy, who is viewed as someone who's going to be elected when he's eligible for the ballot in December of 2023, the former San Francisco Giants skipper who won three World Series titles. So Dusty's right there. All 10 Hall of Fame managers, though, that have the have more wins than Dusty does that are in the Hall also have at least one World Series championship. So that's going to be the rub. When Dusty gets put on the ballot and they have to vote on Dusty Baker, is he a Hall of Fame manager? Because all the guys above him on that list and Bruce Bochy will get in, make no bones about it. 2,000 wins, three World Series championships, he's getting in. Every other manager on the all-time wins list has at least one World Series championship. Dusty does not have one. He's been to the World Series twice and has lost both times. I think he's a Hall of Fame manager, but that's going to definitely be a debate if Dusty can't get the Astros back to the World Series and win it this time. His case, though, is fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. And, look, his playoff teams are kind of known for having terrible heartbreak, right? Game six of the 2002 World Series with the Giants. Game six of the 2003 National League Championship Series with the Cubs. Game five of the NFL NL Division Series with the Nationals. Those were all potential clinching games that a squad's led in the seventh inning or later yet still lost. So the playoff failures are part of it. The fact that he doesn't have a World Series championship is part of it. But man, it's going to be hard to keep Dusty Baker out of the Hall of Fame. 12th manager ever to win 2,000 games. First African-American manager to do it. And Dusty is lifelong baseball guy. 50 years. 19 as a player. And nearly 30 as a manager. Absolutely phenomenal. Got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we're going to talk NBA playoffs. Things are getting interesting in the conference semifinals and getting a little testy as well, especially that Golden State-Memphis series. 
We'll talk about that, recapping last night's action. That's coming up right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. some hosts that talk like they know everything but you don't have to worry about our guy rp3 what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things i have ever heard that's because he never knows what he's talking about everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it back to the show in the know rp3 and company on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station Welcome back to RP3 and Company 641 on this foggy Wednesday morning. Let off today's show talking about the Houston Astros recording their second consecutive shutout of the Seattle Mariners. Now they have flip-flopped in the AL West standings. Astros will be looking for the sweep later this afternoon. First pitch, 110, and you can listen to the game live right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for Houston Astros baseball. Let's talk a little NBA playoffs right now. These conference semifinals are going to get interesting. We'll start off with the first game last night. Bucks-Celtics. Bucks demolished the Celtics in game one. They had no answer for Giannis. Giannis abused them. They crushed their faces. Just There's no other way to say it. Game one... Milwaukee crushed the faces of Boston. Giannis went off, and they had no answer. Boston looked lost out there trying to defend the big fellow, the former MVP and world champion. Well, credit Boston, because they came back in game two last night, and they're the ones that did the crushing. Beating the Bucs 109-86, they set the tone right off the bat, outscoring Milwaukee 32-21 in the first quarter. It got worse in the second. They led 55 to 40 at the break. A purely dominant performance by Boston. A great way to respond. You got to love the grit. You got to love the fortitude to come back and say, you know what? You're not going to punk us for a second game. Because the way that first game played out, I was like, oh, man. I was worried that this was not going to be a competitive series. And Boston's built to be a competitive team, no matter who they face. And I was worried, how is Boston going to respond? And man, they responded with some ferocity. They played like their hair was on fire. Giannis, 28 points. but They made him work for it, 11-27 from the field. Had nine rebounds as well. But credit Boston. Tatum, 29 points. Jalen Brown, 30 points. Majority of his points came in the first half when they established that huge lead and was throwing combo punches on the Bucks. And they also got 21 points from Williams coming off the bench. He played 35 minutes for Boston. Nice, balanced effort. 
This is the Boston team we saw against Brooklyn. This is the Boston team we saw play some of the best basketball in the last 20 to 25 games of the regular season. So the Eastern Conference semifinal series between the Celtics and the Bucks is now knotted up one game apiece. I'm here for it. Look, I don't have a dog in this fight. I don't root for the Celtics or the Bucks. I just like competitive, entertaining series. That's all. That's all I need. That's all I want. I appreciate the NBA. I like watching the NBA. I don't have an NBA team. I'm not a bandwagon person. I just like watching competitive series. Hopefully, this will now go be a six or seven game series. I mentioned it on the air. The one that feels like is going to be the most competitive is going to be Memphis and Golden State. The rest of them, I was like, eh, I don't know. Phoenix, Dallas, eh. The way the Bucs played against the Celtics, did the Celtics have a chance? Well, Celtics stepped up in a big way. The other game last night, man, this is the series to watch. And look, no offense to the Mavs Sun series. Luka Doncic is a special talent. Just truly is. That guy gets buckets like nobody's business. And I love watching him play the game. And Phoenix is a well-coached team. And don't get me wrong, we just hyped up Bucks and Celtics as well. Love that. But nothing is going to be as entertaining as this Warriors-Grizzly series. Nothing. This feels like a Western Conference Finals series that we're getting in the semifinals. That's one. Two, we're seeing the ascension, the continued ascension of Ja Morant, putting himself in the conversation and being one of the league's best players. You're seeing the Warriors having been retooled and now healthy, trying to get back to the promised land, trying to get back to the mountaintop of the league, which they dominated. But they're a little bit older, a little bit more banged up. But this series is salty. Not only do you have great players and you have great storylines, this series is chippy, man. Game one, we had Draymond trying to get under the skin of John Morant and him doing the same thing back and forth. You got the Memphis fans giving the Warriors the business. And then last night, we have a player get fouled, a hard foul, like an old school bad boys Pistons type of foul, and the guy injures his elbow. So now there's bad blood. There's already been trash talk between players. There's been trash talk between players and fans, and now we've had a a foul that led to an injury. Oh, and by the way, the series is tied one game apiece because John Morant took over 47 points last night. 47. My man nearly dropped 50 in a playoff game as the Grizzlies beat the Warriors 106-101. to And now this series is one apiece. This is the most entertaining of the series. The Celtics can make their series against the Bucks competitive. I'm here for it. Miami, Philly, that's not going to be competitive. No Joel Embiid. 76ers don't have a chance. Harden doesn't know how to step up in the, the clutch way in the in the postseason. So, yeah. And I, I don't believe in the Mavericks. They don't have enough guys to help Luka. They got Luka, and they got a bunch of dudes. As I said yesterday, it's like watching Jordan in the mid-'80s in the playoffs or LeBron early in his career with Cleveland. It's him and a bunch of dudes. That's what the Mavericks are, by the way. But this is the series, man. 
It's intense. They're getting after it. It's the 2-3 matchup. So they're very balanced. Memphis is trying to ascend. They were they went from the playing tournament last year to now being a top three seed, the two seed, in fact, in the Western Conference. They feel like a team on the rise. Golden State feels like, hey, we're not ready for you to join us up here on this mountain just yet, young fellas. And that's what it boils down to. And this game is just going to, this series is going to be wildly entertaining. They're so balanced. You know, Golden State, yes, they have Steph and they have Clay, the Splash Brothers. Steph had 27 last night. Clay did not have a good game. Five of 19 shooting, two of 12 from the three point range. He only scored 12 points. He had an off night. Draymond's never been a real big offensive player, but he only gave you six. Wiggins was so so. And Peyton got hurt. I'm surprised Jordan Poole didn't score more. He played a lot, 34 minutes coming off the bench. Got got him 20 points. They're probably going to need a little bit more from him. But this is going to be interesting. Because obviously the Warriors have the experience. The Warriors have the NBA championships. The Warriors have the NBA Finals MVPs. They have this group of guys and their coach, by the way, that has seen it all and done it all. So can Ja Morant and the Grizzlies overtake them? Is Ja going to have to go off for 47 every night? I don't know. It feels like maybe. Because you look at him... He had 47 last night. Williams had 14. That was the next highest scorer on the team. He only had other one other starter scoring double figures with him. That was Jackson. He had 12. That's it. So if Memphis is going to win this series, they're going to have to have more than Ja just dropping 50 a night. But it's going to be chippy. It's going to be wildly entertaining. Draymond Green will probably get a technical at some point. That's the conference semifinal series to watch. Got to take a timeout. We'll update the poll question of the day. Wrap up hour number one. That's next. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Lafayette Marble and Granite is the South's largest cultural marble factory, and they pride themselves on earning your business. LMG provides more than just show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens and your bathrooms, though. They can also take that outdoor living space of yours, maybe a man cave or just where you like to entertain with your grill. They can take that to another level and help you become the envy of your neighborhood during game days. We know you love to have people over the house to watch the big game, LSU. Raging Cajuns, McNeese, or Saints. Let LMG help you take your outdoor living space to another level. They can make it happen. Go visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products that they have to offer you. Live inventory, guess what, is updated every Wednesday, which is today. 
Visit LMGElite.com or stop by their showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. It's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it they will. Let's check in on the poll question of the day. It's Wednesday, which means it's our foodie poll question of the week. It's about crawfish. Crawfish season's coming down to a close, but it's also this weekend Crawfish Festival over in Bro Bridge. So we wanted to hear from you. Poll question of the day. Do you suck the heads out of bold crawfish? It can be a very divisive, divisive topic. Do you suck the heads out of bold crawfish? Yes or no? No room to wiggle out of this. You got to answer. Yes, no. Straightforward poll question of the day. 58% of you Proudly say yes. 42% say no. Let's get to some comments. JPK, the OD, says, yes, but only the juicy ones. About one in four. Got to keep up the pace. You can starve to death eating crawfish if you slow down. You expend more energy doing it than you take in. I don't get full. I get tired. Steve has chimed in. Our buddy, Salty Steve. If you grew up in Louisiana, you are taught three things. Always answer yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. Always put down the seat after using the bathroom. And always eat the tail and make sure you get every drop of juice from a crawfish head. Boom. Steve with the education. Ton on Twitter says, nope, 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 nope. The classic Tracy Morgan gif. Derek on Twitter says, nope, don't like that. And I've been messaged directly via text by Tim Buckley, our good friend, who says, disgusting. So that's Tim's way of saying he's voting on the poll question with a resounding no. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter. It's our foodie poll question of the week here on RP3 and Company. Hour number one has come to a close. We'll kick off hour number two, the seven o'clock hour. After this time out, you're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. From the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back to RP3 and Company on this slightly foggy Wednesday morning. 7.03 on the clock, and we appreciate you making us part of your morning commute. Just make sure you're safe out there today, especially with the dense fog, especially along the I-49 corridor if you're out there listening this morning. Just make sure you're careful, take your time, and be mindful of your surroundings. we got a great show still to come. 
Don't be sad if you missed hour number one. We talked a lot of Houston Astros shutting out the Seattle Mariners for the second consecutive day. Not to worry, Hannah Five Names is not in mourning. She's dealing with it. She understands it's a long season. It's 162 games. Her team already beat the Astros, took two out of three against them earlier in the season. She understands there's ebbs and flows to these things. Not to worry about Five Names. She's okay. But the Astros are turning things around as they typically do when the calendar turns to May. They always start off slow, especially with this core that's gone to five straight ALCSs and three World Series. They start off slow. They're a 500 ball club or a little below 500 for the month of April. And then the calendar turns to May and they turn it on. They'll face off game three this afternoon as the Astros look for the sweep, look to shut out the Mariners yet again. And Justin Verlander is going to be taking the bump for the Strohs. So you got to like their chances. As the former Cy Young Award winner and MVP, sure doesn't look like a guy that had Tommy John surgery almost two years ago. He is pitching phenomenal to start the season for the Strohs. Last night they got production. Altuve back off the IL, gets a home run. Jordan Alvarez hits his eighth dinger of the season. And Pena just continues getting timely hits. Kid belongs in the show. Talking about the rookie shortstop who's been asked to replace Carlos Correa. Stroh's now above 500 and above Seattle in the AOS standings. But that wasn't the only action on the diamond last night. Oh, no. He also had college baseball action. McNeese goes out there and gets their first run rule victory against non-SWAC competition in a couple years as they went out there and crushed the faces of old conference foe from the Southland, Stephen F. Austin, 17-7. to They have a huge series this coming weekend against Northwestern State. Stephen F. Austin, that's great. That's a nice little midweek victory for Justin Hill's team who has turned a corner after a rough start to conference play and a rough start to the season. They're now right there in contention for the Southland Conference regular season title. More importantly, getting one of the top seeds for the conference tournament because for the Southland this year, we had Jim Gazzolo on yesterday. And he explained this to us, is that the Southland Conference, because the conference is, in fact, in transition, be a nice way of describing that. I'd say chaos, but it's in transition. The top seeds are actually going to host like little mini tournaments, like little mini regionals for their conference tournament. So McNeese has an opportunity to not leave Lake Charles if they finish the season strong. Huge series this weekend at the Joe, three games set against Northwestern State. And then they have to wrap up the regular season on the road at Houston Baptist, who's tied with them atop the standings. So big weekend in store for me, Nice. They hopefully can build some momentum from their midweek contest, trucking the poor Lumberjacks of Stephen F. Austin. LSU races out to an early, comfortable lead against Nichols last night. Colonels come back, make it look far more competitive than it actually was. But LSU gets the job done 
10 to 6 win. And now the Tigers that they got their midweek game out of the way, they can really turn their attention to a key road series against Alabama. LSU like the Raging Cajuns and like the Cowboys, they seem like they've maybe turned a corner winning the series against Georgia in dramatic fashion in a walk-off fashion with K Doty's two-run jack on Sunday. They've won a couple series now. And it looks like Jay Johnson's team is getting comfortable. Now, they still have issues. Blake Money does not look like he's really a number two starter for this team. Don't know if the pitching's there. But we've seen LSU teams in the past not have stud pitching one through three in their rotation. And when they get to Hoover, they make a run. They're at the Met for the SEC tournament and improve their seating. It feels like LSU is trending in a way that they're going to get a regional. Just a couple of weeks ago, it looks like they were going to be a number two seed in the Coral Gables regional, which was the second worst regional they could be in because Miami at that time was, by D1 baseball, a number two seed. The number two national seed, rather. But LSU can continue making its case to host. Plus, they know they're going to draw the crowds there at the box, right? They, they know this. The NCAA isn't stupid. They know LSU hosting a regional is good for business. So if the Tigers are just in the mix with some other teams, I'd fully expect LSU to be able to host a regional. Alabama is not a great team. They're wildly inconsistent this year. But it's still a road SEC series. They have to go to T-Town. Get that series victory, keep it moving. Then you welcome in Ole Miss next weekend, and that's a team that's struggling to even be relevant this year. They may be changing their head coach. You could build up some momentum before having to wrap up the regular season on the road in Nashville against Vandy, who is always, which is always a daunting challenge. But LSU will gear up for that three-game set at Alabama. Of course, we'll carry all three games right here on the game this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You're home for LSU Athletics in southwest Louisiana. But while we have a few minutes here, I want to switch gears from baseball and talk about something that infuriates me. Because it's 7-10, why not? I despise, I won't use the word hate, because... Years ago, since I got right with the Lord, I've tried to live a better life. I tried to not let myself get angered. Hate is a, is a strong word. Yes. So I, I'm, trying, I'm, I'm trying to be a better man, right? Yeah. So I'm trying not to, to hate things. Yes. You be- despise or dislike yes. with a passion. We'll say strongly dislike. Yes. Yes. There we go. The NFL... It just kills me with these. The the NFL and its perversion of putting games outside of the United States. The NFL is our game. It's an American game. Why are we continually trying to take the game outside of the country? I get it. 
You get go, you get to go put it in another country. You get to sell out there. You get to become the trendy thing, the the thing that's you know in vogue to do that year. Oh, did you? Oh, the NFL's coming. We have to go check it out. Stop it. It's dumb. First of all, cranky old man here who will be 44 by the time the next NFL season comes around. I have no desire to wake up at 9 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday to watch a football game. That's one. Two, it's stupid to have an NFL game play, being played before church. Three, why are we playing games in countries where they don't care about the game? Why? Why are we doing this? I know why we're doing this. I already know the answer to my own question. I'm not stupid. I'm not a moron. I have moronic moments, but I'm not a moron. I get it. It's money. This is why these decisions are made. But the NFL is patting themselves on the back. They're all excited. You know, you see them on Twitter. Oh, international game announcements coming soon. Ooh, let's get excited. Who's ready for some Seahawks and Bucks in Munich? I can't wait to circle it on my calendar for November 13th. No. Look, I love Germany. It's where my family's from. It's on my bucket list to actually go and see that, see where my grandmother's village is from, see where my mom was born. I got both sides of the family born in Germany. Immigrants. My grandmother and my mother came through Ellis Island. Okay? So I'm all about that. I'm all about the history. I'm all about Germany. Don't get me wrong. But this is dumb. I understand there used to be NFL Europe. I get it. I get it. There's a reason why there's no longer NFL Europe. But yet, the NFL just can't help itself. Let's have the Seahawks and the Bucks face off in Munich. Really? This is what we're doing? How about the Vikings and the Saints in London? That hasn't been officially announced yet, but everyone expects that to be announced today. Yes, it won't be the Bengals and the Saints. So I know a lot of Saints fans slash LSU fans, you can rest easy. The NFL is actually going to give you the state of Louisiana, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Tyler Shelvin coming back home to play in the Superdome where they won a national championship to cap off the greatest season in college football history against the black and gold. You're going to get that. But Seahawks, Bucks in Munich? Saints and Vikings in London? First of all, let me break it down for you. This is another reason why it irritates me. You, you take away home games for these teams. And you're taking away home games. Like, why are you doing that? Why? Why are you taking... Look, if you're Jacksonville and you have 75% of your stadium under tarp because no one gives a damn about the Jaguars in Jacksonville. By the way, lovely town. They have a Dave and Buster's. Had a great time there. That's one thing. But you're talking about the Saints have to give up a home game against the Vikings, and it has to be played in London. Yes. No one can afford to go to the game that actually is a fan of the team. So you're taking home games away to have neutral site games for populations that don't give a damn about the game. They're just there because it's the trendy thing to do. It's like a new restaurant opened up. I may not like the food, but let's go because we need to be seen. That's the whole thing about it. It's a novelty. So we're taking away home games from teams that actually have legitimate fan bases 
to make them go play overseas? Yes. This is what we're doing? So it was officially announced by the NFL UK on Twitter. Uh, October 2nd at 2.30, uh, Minnesota Vikings versus Saints. October 9th at 2.30, New York Giants versus the Packers. And then October 30th, the Denver Broncos versus Jacksonville Jaguars. So we have three London games and a Munich game this year? Uh-huh. Woof. As my good friend Jim Gozzolo says, well, that gets a big old RP3. Woof. Woof. That's awful. That's awful. If you want to do it, three games in London? Three? Yes. Mm-hmm. Second, ninth, and thirtieth of October. In addition, not only do we have the Munich contest between the Bucks and the Seahawks, we have the three London games, one of them featuring the Saints. We're going to have a Mexico City game this year too. <laughs> so there's going to be five games. That are going to be played outside of the U.S. So when the Saints play, I'm going to have some uh, tea and crumpets. <laughs> and let's say it's on your bucket list to go overseas. Yes, that is on mine. To go to Europe. Mm-hmm. Right? Great. I'm not going over to Europe to watch the NFL. No. That's why I go to Belgium. <sighs> what are we doing what are we doing? I can't wait. I can't wait to watch them play in the home arena of the football club from Munich. Nothing makes me happier than watch NFL games in soccer stadiums. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. That's a fun <sighs> name. <laughs> Get the Giants and the Packers. At least they're making some of the bigger marquee franchises in the NFL being forced to play over in London as well. Yeah. But if I'm the Giants and the Packers, I'm like, really? What are we doing? But it's not going to have a glorious day when he gets in now. <laughs> He's probably listening right now. Five games. <laughs> it is so unnecessary to have five games for the NFL being played overseas. Why not make them preseason games? That would be a great idea. I would be okay with preseason because they don't matter. And you can still have the novelty of having the games overseas to try to build your brand into a global brand. It's not enough that the NFL dominates the sports news cycle and dominates the calendar 12 months of the year now. They they don't take any time off. It's 12 months out of the year. Now we got to have five games outside of the U.S. Five. Munich, three in London, and one in Mexico City. You can make them preseason games, still keep the novelty, and it doesn't impact home revenue. doesn't impact. Why not do that? Why not take your preseason? The home fans here don't give a damn about preseason. Let all the foreign countries have the preseason games. There you go. That way they can have their novelty games, and that way maybe they can get the uh, by the NFL network for the season to watch the games from abroad. Yay. And then no one has to give up a home game and home revenue. And home fans can actually cheer on their home team. You go write your stern letter to the <sighs> NFL. See, it's way too early in the morning for me to be worked <laughs> up. But don't worry. The tickets are available starting in June. <laughs> Start saving up. <laughs> like, for real? The only one that's realistic <clears throat> for anyone to go to is Mexico City. Yeah. That's the only one. Yep. Which they've done before. 
The last time I want to say they were in Mexico City, the the conditions of the field were so bad that the NFL pledged never to go back. I guess they must have found yeah. some AstroTurf somewhere. Maybe maybe left over from the Astrodome <laughs> that they shipped down to Mexico to put in a stadium. It's like, come on, man. For real? This is what we're doing? Dumb, 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 dumb. Hey, in case you were wondering, the Buccaneers are going to be looking for their first victory outside the U.S. They're 0-3 and get in three games played in London. I'm sure they're thrilled. Saints, Vikings, London. Really? Yes. That Broncos-Jaguars game seems really exciting. <laughs> it's going to be awful. <laughs> it's going to be awful. Of course, Jacksonville has to go constantly. <laughs> Oh, man, I can't wait to see who's going to have to play in Mexico City. Probably Raiders. They like sending them down there for that. Usually it's an AL West team that plays. So we'll see about the Mexico City unveiled today as well. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll be happy to pass that information along <laughs> to you. we got to take a timeout on this Way Back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. is the epitome of a high roller constantly making large bets but by doing that the minimum bet is a dollar for a win a dollar for a place a dollar for a show so it's essentially a three dollar bet that netted me a cool six dollars and seventy cents what okay so he's not a risk taker he's your best bet for sports talk 19 hit me 20 hit me 21 hit me 22 no now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. After a two-year hiatus, the Bro Bridge Crawfish Festival is returning this weekend to the festival grounds in Bro Bridge. General admission tickets range from five to ten dollars, and you can also buy a three-day pass for only fifteen dollars. Musical lineup is going to include Wayne Toops, Chubby Carey and the Bayou Swamp Band, Gerald Grunig and Gentelli Zydeco, Sweet Cecilia, and many more. Great food, great music, and great times at the Bro Bridge Crawfish Festival. For more information, visit bbcrawfest.com that's bbcrawfest.com will your boy rp3 his wife tina and hp1 hattie make an appearance this weekend at the festival possibly i've never been i've never been my wife's been a bunch but never been so we went to the etouffee festival last weekend May have to mosey over to Bro Bridge. My brother-in-law lives in Bro Bridge. Convenient. I mean, Ken doesn't work this weekend, so maybe we could as well make an appearance. What? I'm talking for him because he doesn't like peeling crawfish. Neither do I. Neither, yeah. ne- neither, neither do I. Now, people go, well, Ray, what's the big deal? You peel shrimp. I say this all the time. I grew up 
on the coast. I grew up with shrimp. Like I grew up with a guy that lived in our neighborhood who was a shrimper would bring us shrimp once a week. Okay. And I learned how to peel shrimp at a young age. It was just always part of the life. So like like a milkman type thing? Like instead of being a milkman, he got a shrimp man? Yeah, but he had a big old beard. <laughs> big old white beard. He, he looked like Santa. So I was like, Santa's bringing shrimp again. So <laughs> just that's how I was like, hey, he, looks, he used to live behind us there on Gill Road in Mobile. So I grew up with that. I wasn't exposed to crawfish until we moved to Louisiana. I was like, oh, what is this? But because I grew up dealing with shrimp, peeling shrimp, taking off, you know, that's my go-to. And it still is. Like, I prefer boiled shrimp over boiled crawfish. It's not that I don't like boiled crawfish. I love boiled crawfish. I love crawfish boils. My wife, on the other hand, she's she's the other way because she grew up right here down the road in St. Landry Parish. She grew up with crawfish boils. So her go-to is crawfish. So it's kind of funny how that works. But... I do like, ah, oh, man. But my wife, I got a great wife. She'll peel the crawfish for me sometimes. Yeah, I, that's what I did. Like, it was like Sunday, we had his, like, <clears throat> once Lent over, the, like, owner of all the stores will go and has a big crawfish boil for all Lent for like, all his workers, like a thank you type thing. Right. Literally, Kenneth went, and they're like, okay, ladies get in line first. So we went through. We got our big little thing of crawfish. And then I was like, babe, you know you have to go through that still, right? He goes, but why? I was like. So then I can get a second helping immediately. Yes. Like I, I can, you know, my in-laws literally watch me peel crawfish and they're like, how do you do that so fast? Because my wife, I grew up here. They grew up from right, Florida. Right. My wife, my wife, look, I know how to peel crawfish, but my wife goes through it. And like, anytime we have an event with her family, like we did a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And they all just sit down at the tables and it's just like, just, just, just watching. Like, it's what I imagine Henry Ford felt like when he watched the Model T's coming through Detroit back in the day, how efficient they were. That just, all of a sudden I'm like, how'd y'all do that so quick? I'm over here <laughs> just struggling. And they're yeah. just machines about it, man. They're oh, just yeah. absolute machines about it. I had to like literally show them at one point. I was like, this is how you do it. You go, did it, did it, did it. And they're like, ah, that makes sense. But like, <laughs> can I say, I don't want to work that hard for food. So like crabs, it's not new crabs. I so like crabs I too. feel the crabs because I, you know, can do it quickly and know like what to get. He's like, no, I don't like working hard for not much as much food. So like the big crawfish, he was like, yeah, it's five pounds of crawfish. I'm like, but you're getting maybe a pound of crawfish once you peel them. He yes. Goes, I don't like that idea. <laughs> so we're having crawfish Alfredo now for dinner. Hey, nothing great, nothing great in life is easy. True. See, there you go. That does lead us to our poll question of the day. It does. Because it's foodie poll question of the week. That's what we do every Wednesday here. That's what we bring to the table. You're welcome, by the way. <laughs> every Way Back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company, we have our foodie poll question of the week, and it's about crawfish. Do you suck out the heads of boiled crawfish? Right now, ooh, this is a close vote. 52% of you say yes. Now 48% say no. It's getting more like 50-50 here on this poll question of the day. We've had people go both ways. Darren, number one Raging Cajun fan of RP3 and Company, says, no, too much time. I'll eat 10 pounds while you're still messing around with those heads. <laughs> so for Darren, it's all about efficiency. Texan in Acadiana says, gross, no. 
and shares a gift from waiting, by the way. Love that movie. John Paul on Twitter says, there are way too many calories in the head juices and fat. I'm trying to watch my figure, you know. Good for you, John Paul. Cajun fan says, overseas games should only be preseason games. Thank you. I will circle back to that all day long. Dumb, 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 dumb. I don't know, for for you out there that are commenting on the poll question saying disgusting or texting me, which Tim Buckley did for a second time just now. (laughs) Shout out to our friend Tim Buckley from Tiger Rag. What's more disgusting, that or the fact that NFL has five games overseas this year? I vote for the NFL having five games overseas. Just saying. Dat Cajun on Twitter. Great name. The real question, when doing crawfish at home, do you dust your crawfish? Ooh. <clears throat> but yes, sucking crawfish heads is a must if you know how to boil them. Yeah, but they, that's a thing. A lot, of people, a lot of people think they know how to boil crawfish. Yeah. And they just because they spent money on the setup, they believe they know how to boil <laughs> crawfish. But they really don't. Like, even even your boy here, when I go sometimes, I'm like, my man, what you doing? What you doing? Yeah. It, you, I don't have the heart to tell you that you shouldn't feel proud about yourself right now. Yeah, This if, is not if, good. If they're not dripping already in juice when you pick up the crawfish, I'm not sucking the head because I know nothing's going to be in there. Because it's going to be trash. And the only thing that's seasoned is the outside. <laughs> so Curly1007 says on Twitter, not if my life depended on it in all caps. <laughs> Curly went uppercase all the way with the comment, which you got to love. That would be my uh, my mother-in-law. <laughs> I like that. Oh, oh man. By the way, Darren wants to say that we're on point with the music today. It is Way Back Wednesday, so Thank we're doing a you. Way Back Wednesday hip-hop edition of RP3 and Company as well. And it's like a 50-50 credit. <laughs> because some of this music is already in our repertoire already, and then I added some, so it's 50-50 credit for me and you, because you picked your original music. I didn't. But we do have comments on Facebook before we um, continue. Cajun fan also has chimed in about the scheduling, okay. saying that the NFL will probably make the Saints go on the road to the West Coast the week after. <laughs> yep. Probably. <laughs> that sounds – or as Kevin says, what, what, does he say, what, do, what does he call Seattle and Oregon? Uh, he calls like oh. Seattle, Washington, and Oregon. What does he call that, China? Yeah. 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 There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I, my, my, my team's in Asia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your team's in Asia. There you go. That's what yeah. he said. Calls it Asia. Continue. We have some <laughs> comments on Facebook to get to about our poll question of the day, our foodie question of the week. Okay. So Randy Russell says, of course, I may not be a natural born Cajun, but I love me some spicy boiled crawfish and there's only one right way to eat them. No dip if they are spiced properly and suck the heads with the exclamation point. Yes, you're very right. If they are not seasoned, seasoned on the outside, they're not seasoned on the inside. So you get dipped. Uh, Martin says, I mean, who doesn't suck the heads out of crawfish? But I also double dip them in my dipping sauce as well. If you don't suck heads, if you don't, then you're not a true Cajun. I said what I said, and Paul, it's a new day, but your Yankees ain't, Yankees aren't winning the World Series, buddy. It's still very early in the preseason, in the season. And then Blaine says, no, the claws are better. I'm okay with claws, but sometimes I can't squish them. Like, my strength is not there with my two fingers to be able to squish them to get to what's left in there. Outstanding. Y'all keep voting on that poll question of the day. We want to hear from you. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. You want to comment about the crawfish poll question of the day or you want to complain about 
the NFL being morons with scheduling five games outside of the United States. It's going to be okay. You know, just just when I think that Manford is the commissioner I want to punch the most, then Roger Goodell says, RP3, hold my beer. <laughs> oh, just awfulness. Keep your votes coming and your comments coming. We'd love to hear from you. Right now, we got to take a timeout, but when we return, we'll welcome on our first guest of today's show. He's Mr. Cruise Ship. He's Mr. Hollywood Extra. He's also an award-winning columnist, one of the best journalists in the business. Ron Higgins from Tiger Details will join us next, talking all things LSU. That's coming up right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. P3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, welcome back to the Way Back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. A little old school hip hop for you on today's show. Don't forget, we also have our poll question of the day, which is our foodie question of the week. And it's getting some, some responses. You guys are passionate about this topic, as you are when it comes to our foodie questions of the week. Poll question of the day. Do you suck out the heads of boiled crawfish? Yes, no. Huh? Are you down with the mud bugs? Do you just eat the tails? Or do you eat the tails and then suck out the heads? We need to know. We want to hear from you. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Right now, it is getting closer and closer. 51% of you say yes. It's down to 51%. 49% of you say no. And the reactions and the comments and the gifts that are being used <laughs> are kind of priceless. Cajun fan says, no, and I don't eat raw oysters either. Who Dat Forever says, unrelated, but there's a special place in hell reserved for people who season seafood after they're cooked. Y'all are fired up this morning. Keep them coming on Facebook and Twitter. But right now, it's time for us to talk to someone who's always fired up. Yeah. Don't let the, I don't know, the information, don't let the fact that this man is spending time on movie sets in his spare time, on cruise ships, that he's living the Big Willie lifestyle fool you. He brings the fire every single day. It's time for us to talk all things LSU. It's time to talk with Ron Higgins. It's time for Hold That Tiger. Half the week is in the books, which means it's time to talk Bayou Bengals with Tiger Details columnist, the Mad Dog himself, Ron Higgins. Here is Hold That Tiger on RP3 and Company. 
Mad Dog, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Raymond. You know, I, since I've talked to you last, you know, I've added, you know, I want to make this better for the, the viewers of this. So, Oh, on the I've simulcast. Added, Thank you, bud. Thank you. Yeah, I've added, I've added special effects to make this, to reflect my mood. Now, you talked about crawfish. Now, sometimes they season crawfish is too hot. It's just way too hot for me. So I get hot like that. See, I mean, my, my face is turning red. But then if I suck the heads, I get sick. So, you know, I get <laughs> You just put a filter on to make you look red. Look and, at then, you. and then, you know, so, I mean, I mean, and sometimes if I don't get enough seafood, I feel kind of kind of blue about it like that. <laughs> oh, anyway, but, look but at you. Talk, now, now we can... Now we can talk uh, LSU once I get my special effects fixed here. There we go. Oh, oh there no. We go. There okay. it is. How about you talk LSU? This, right, very good. This man's put a purple filter on. <laughs> if you're, I, got, I, got, I have a new toy. Oh, look at you. You got way too much time on your hands. That's now, not, only, not only does it change, uh, this this uh, light change colors, it plays my Bluetooth music also. How about that? You're so happy about yourself right now. <laughs> We're talking right, with the mad dog. All right, but I, I want to start with basketball because I did not expect the new man in charge of the men's basketball program, knowing that this program's facing scholarship reductions and facing punishment by the NCAA, that he's going to inherit inherit that that he was going to be able to recruit as well as he has, and he's getting guys that are four and five stars to commit to come play at LSU, not to mention how he's doing uh, doing so well with the transfer portal. What do you think about the new man in charge and how he's able to put together this roster, Ron? I mean, frankly, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit stunned at Matt put together. I think right now what's rated this is the 20th best recruiting class in the nation when you don't know what your probation is going to be. Uh, it's, it's really, he's done a great selling job and, uh, I haven't had a chance, chance to talk to him one-on-one -on -one, and when I, when I will, I, I, I'm guessing he's selling the fact he's, you know, he's probably selling the fact that, listen, it doesn't matter if you go to the tournament or not, you're going to get exposure here because you're going to play. We need your body to play and you're going to get exposure to NBA scouts. And of course I developed John Morant when I, you know, in my previous job. And uh, he's doing okay in the pros. Yeah, you could say. He had 47 last night and scored the last 15 points of a, in a win over the Warriors game two of the Western Conference semi. So uh, I think that's what he's selling. And and, and, and they're buying into it. I mean, uh, I mean, you know, you knew he would get some transfers, okay? But, you know, when you go land, uh, you know, Tyrell Ward, like rated 26th best prospect in the nation, uh, you know, six seven wing player. I mean, you, you get him. I mean, and then you get Jalen Reed, who's a four star who's supposed to go to Florida. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. And, and all I can say is, uh, he must be a good recruiter. And uh, listen, let's just give some credit. Somebody's paying out some NIL money somewhere. I mean, got to. And, yeah. And, and, that's not, and that's no, that's no mark against Matt McMahon. I think every coach, when it comes down to Getting a guy needs a little help. I mean, I mean, he may have paid this guy some money, he may have not, but he meant this guy. All the all recruits now basically want to know what they can get NIL wise too. Uh, so maybe, maybe, maybe he paid him some money, maybe he didn't. But all I can say is hats off to Matt McMahon. He's putting together a, a squad 
Look, it doesn't matter who you recruit. So they're going to be picked probably in the last two or three places of the SEC next year anyway. Uh, so he's got nowhere to go but up as far as surprising people. Kim Mulkey's also doing pretty well with her recruiting, Ron, and she's still hitting up the transfer portal. Uh, I thought after the season that they had that she would just probably start to transition to just recruiting high school players, and she's doing that, but she's still getting great players to come in through the portal. Is that Kim just adjusting to the time, quickly adjusting to the time that we are living in with the transfer portal? Yeah, it's also her realizing I need I need experience. I don't have much experience on this team. I have basically two starters back, and I need some experience. And so, basically, she you know went and found some people. I mean, the, the last person from the Ohio State she she got played against her in the in the last game of the season. Played about 10, 10 15 minutes, scored a couple of points. She's getting. I mean. She's getting people she's seen, obviously, uh, who thinks that, that that can help her immediately. And, on, and honestly, that's the way it's kind of done now. Uh, unless you have, unless you in, in, in football, but especially basketball, unless you have like three, you know, three or four starters back, you're going to go hunting for immediate experience. You don't want to be caught without experienced players. And and you look, she's proven. She proved this year that she can flip a team in a year. I mean, she can. She can get players to play her system quickly. She proved that this year. So why not get transfers that, one, have college basketball experience, just like LSU had on, on their team this year, but flip them to her system. So, And her system's not terribly complicated. Her system is based on solid fundamentals, doing something over and over again, playing smart, playing hard, playing defense, playing with passion. It's not an overly complicated system. It's just... You do the same things correct every day. Basically, that's what you do. You fundamentally, you basically do the fundamentals correct every day, and we'll fit them into what we do. Also, I want to ask you about the WNBA because you have an LSU star, a great player, gets drafted, and three weeks later, because the WNBA holds its draft and then it it you know starts making moves that that player from LSU gets cut, like got released. And I've seen this happen more with the WNBA. I guess my question to you is, does the WNBA in that regard need to, I don't know, expand or have some type of G League? Because you're having first and second round picks that are getting cut literally a month after signing on the dotted line, Ron. Well, first of all, that the fact that Taylor Porter got cut made me really mad. So I'm, I'm mad about that, see. Uh, but the, the fact is, I don't know if there's enough support for a G League women's basketball. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I don't know if there's enough. I mean, I mean, look, the G League, I mean, the NBA funds are WNBA, and they're putting a, a, a ton of money in it. And I don't know, do they have the money to do, to do a G League? Is there, is there even, I guess, enough fan interest for a G League? Uh, Honestly, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, it, 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 it's sad to say, but uh, it is what it is. I mean, uh, the WNBA does okay, but it's uh, it's it's not the first thing. Even though I, I like watch women's basketball, it's not the first thing I turn on in the summer to watch for sports. 
mean, if I come across it, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it on there for a few minutes to see if I know any of the players. But it's not that's something like, you know, watching the NBA, which I watch a lot of. Uh, I feel, I mean, I, mean, uh, I think I mean, Kayla Porter got drafted by her. her I mean, Nikki's her aunt. Isn't she? <laughs> I, yeah, that's it's weird, man. It's weird. Uh, they're going to cut you. Uh, I don't know if they even played any any preseason games yet, or anything. No, it's That's weird. Fun. It's it, it's 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 just a weird thing, and I was surprised, especially where they drafted her. That you know, I mean, it, it's like buying a new car, and then you know, three weeks later, you take it back to the car lot, and you're like, ah, I, I don't want this now. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't I understand. Just, like, if there was something about her game that you didn't like, then why in the hell did you draft her? Like, the, you understand what I'm saying? Like, this is what I don't understand. She played one of the best basketball, best conferences in America. And was, you know, twice first team All SEC. She had to be pretty good. And, and I mean, I don't, I don't get it. You know, hopefully somebody else will, will, will see and pick her up. You know, you would like hope you'd hope to because uh, she was a hell of a player. I mean, clutch. I mean, very clutch. All right, bud. Before I let you go, I got to get some baseball uh, discussion in. All right, quickly. The baseball team sure does seem like they have kind of turned things around. They win the Georgia series in dramatic fashion with a walk-off. They got a road series against Alabama, which is winnable. They got a series coming up against Ole Miss, which is winnable. They can improve their seeding and possibly get up as a regional host. Do you have confidence that Jay Johnson's team has turned a corner? I always think it's a week-to-week proposition because I'll never – I mean, yeah, they they, they pulled through last week with some – with a couple of close wins and <clears throat> won their second straight series. Uh, I mean, the people that have, they have left, I mean, none, none of them have winning records in conference. Alabama's like uh, nine, 12, Ole Miss is seven, 14, Bandy, Bandy's 10, 11. Uh, where LSU sits right now, they, they sit tied for third in the league with uh, Georgia, Auburn, and A&M. And of course they, they would have the tiebreaker over, over uh, Georgia, but not Auburn A&M. So, Right now, I take it week to week with them, and and, and they probably should look at it that way too. Uh, you know, if, if their relief pitching holds up, they're they're pretty good. Uh, you know, they've gotten the, the most mileage they've gotten out of the starters, Mikael Hilliard. He's probably averaging five to six innings per SEC start, which is which is pretty good. Uh, they've averaged like about four or five, about four relievers per SEC start uh just to get through games i, I think they got a really good uh lineup of, of three or four maybe five solid relievers who you feel like going to get you through stuff uh their starters besides mikhail here their stars are shaky blake money their uh their second game starting conference series he leads the sec and and, and home runs allowed per inning blake money was on the mound he, he, the, the ball's going out of the park Guaranteed. Uh, so, if their pitching holds up, they're like third or fourth in the SEC in earn run average, and they get enough hits. I mean, they can pull through beyond the clutch and get a regional regional host. I mean, that would it would benefit them greatly to get a regional host. Bud, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy your week, and hopefully, you'll be able to use some filters that are all about joy, my friend. I will. I got a. I got a. I got a gig. Move gig tomorrow. I got a TV show gig tomorrow. Queen Sugar. 
Queen Sugar in New Orleans. There it is, bud. Enjoy yourself, brother. We'll talk to you next week. See ya. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Welcome back to RP3 and company. That's going to do it for our number two. Ron Higgins, man, delivers the goods. My man's funny. Playing around with filters. <laughs> he has a good time. He has a good time. He's enjoying his life on television and movie sets, on cruise ships, covering the LSU Tigers. My man's living the best version of his life. That's going to do it for hour number two, though. Hour number three, jam-packed. And we're going to kick it off with the Big Easy Blitz. Andrew Juge, our buddy from the Saints Happy Hour podcast, is going to join us to kick off the 8 o'clock hour. So keep it locked in right here for that. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. From the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Me, oh my, crawfish pie. Hour number three has arrived here on RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Of course, I'm joined here in the studio by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. We've had a good show, borderline great show so far this morning. We've talked Houston Astros winning their second consecutive game against the Seattle Mariners, and they're did so they did so rather in shutout fashion for also the second consecutive game Altuve home run Jordan Alvarez gets his eighth man that kid is good just a good old-fashioned power hitter and how about the rook Pena he's making things happen doing a nice job as rookie replacing Carlos Correa and just like that the Astros who always start off sluggish Always struggle in the month of April. Once the calendar turns to May, they start to find their groove. And taking the first two games in shutout fashion against the Mariners, now they flip-flop in the standings, and the Astros are above 500, and they'll be looking for the sweep today. 110 first pitch from Mid-Made Ballpark. You can listen to that game live right here on the game. Justin Verlander will be on the bump for the Strohs. Also, LSU, McNeese picked up some midweek victories to help build some momentum heading into their weekend series. Both of them fairly big. LSU on the road at Alabama. They cannot afford a trip up here against an inconsistent Crimson Tide team. 
They need to go into T-Town, get that win, get the series win, maybe even get a sweep as they continue to improve their standings to possibly host an NCAA regional. McNeese wins in mercy rule fashion against former conference foe Stephen F. Austin. The Lumberjacks were no match as they gave up 17 runs in that game. McNeese, who is tied atop the Southland Conference standings, they have a big three-game series this weekend at the Joe against Northwestern State. And of course, we also touched on the NBA playoffs. That Grizzlies-Warriors series is going to be salty. We got an injured player now. We got jawing with fans and amongst players. Draymond Green's involved. The Warriors are trying to make one last run before their group gets too old. But the Memphis Grizzlies are ascending, and John Morant is special. 47 points last night in Game 2 to even that series. But right now, it's time for us to talk all things New Orleans Saints. The draft is in the books. You can read all about it from our next guest on our website, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. He's also the co-host of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. It's time for us to talk with Andrew Juge. It's time for the Big Easy Blitz. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. The give to Camara. Breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone. Touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. Andrew, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Everything's good. Uh, the draft's behind us now, so uh, you know that feels like a big weight lifted. I tell you, we, we analyze and study this for so long, and there's so much time leading up to it. There's this big relief uh, once it finishes. So, uh, yeah, and the Saints have new players. It's fun to talk about. All right, let's let's focus in on that first. They make the trade. And they don't have to give up really anything, Andrew. I mean, the commanders are like, yeah, we'll take a third and a fourth to let you go up five spots. Once again, Washington making Washington decisions. That said, the Saints go up and get their man at wide receiver and Chris Olave, and they stay pat and get the offensive tackle they liked. So many fans had projected this, and sure enough, the Saints do it in the first round where they get the two players that a lot of people wanted them to take. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about Teron Matthew in a second, too. But against all odds, as you said, the, the fans wanted Olave. They wanted Penning, Trevor Penning, and they wanted the Honey Badger. And the Saints made all three things happen. When's the last time the Saints gave the, gave the fans what they wanted? Uh, this was surreal. Hard to believe, really. Um, but, no, the, these are two huge pickups. I think offensively, when you look at the Saints and – uh, struggling as they did on that side of the football last season. Uh, it was clear, and look, on top of that, you lose Teron Armstead. It was clear that the offense needed some new players. They needed just a injection of talent. And the reality is during free agency, they really didn't make any moves on that side of the football. Uh, I think Andy Dalton was maybe the only new addition they made. They, they re-signed Traquan Smith. They brought Deontay Hardy back. I say Jameis Winston came back. And then you could maybe argue that guys coming back from injury like Michael Thomas or Ryan Ramchek will make a difference too. But uh, it, it was surprising uh, to see the inactivity, frankly, on the offensive side of the ball. And so uh, to get two first-round talent-level players in Olave and Penning are a big deal. Uh, but they did give up a lot of assets to give them. Now, as you said, uh, look, they, they don't have a 2023 first-round pick currently. They don't have a 2024 second-round pick. Uh, and they gave up some – 
some picks in the middle of the draft to make these two picks happen. So uh, these guys have to be really, really good. I think that's the thing. There's a lot riding on these two players being successful because uh, the Saints didn't really give themselves much buffer with what they gave up. But what indicates to you, based on what Mickey Loomis, Jeff Ireland have done for the better part of the last 10 years, that the majority of these guys won't work out, Andrew? Why, why, why would there be any doubt there? I'm not saying that every pick is, is uh, fail-proof, but if anyone has a track record of producing quality impact players for their franchise, it would be Mickey and Jeff. Yeah, I, I think they have a good – certainly, I mean, the 2017 draft, I don't know that they'll ever be able to recreate that. Um, it, it was maybe the best in franchise history ever. Um, so, no, there, there's no doubt these guys have drafted tremendous players. You know, interestingly, I almost feel like they've had better success in the later rounds. Uh, you know, Michael Thomas in the second, Alvin Kamara in the third. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, they do a know, better and, job and, with and, that and, than they do the first. Yeah, in the first round, you know, with Davenport and Peyton Turner – and uh, Cesar Ruiz, I feel like they haven't been quite as good in the first round. Uh, so it's interesting that they kind of double down this year with the first round picks. Uh, so we'll see. Look, I, I think between the two guys, Alave, really injuries would be the only thing that would stand in the way of him having a successful career, in my opinion. I, I just think he runs terrific routes. He has terrific hands. Uh, he's incredibly smart. Uh, he, he just, he, just had, he has it all. He's a complete package as a receiver. And I would say the odds of him failing at the next level are very, very low based on his makeup as a player. So I really expect him to be very good for the Saints. Uh, and, and again, barring an injury, uh, I don't really see anything standing in the way of Olave being a successful pro. Uh, with Trevor Penning, I, I think it's all upside. I think he's a guy that has tremendous potential. I think he has the potential to be a Hall of Famer. He's that good athletically. Uh, but he is raw, and he played against weak competition at Northern Iowa. And so that might be a little bit more of development needed kind of thing. Uh, and you wonder if he maybe has a little bit more bust potential than Olave does. Uh, but, uh, boy, you have to like the upside. Yeah, and the Saints have a pretty good track record taking guys that don't uh, play uh, – taking guys that play offensive line in conferences that aren't Power 5 as well. Yeah, Teron Armstead – case in point absolutely so and uh you know there there was a guy once upon a time a guard out of bloomsburg college yeah most people have never heard of uh, that would be jari evans so no there, there are plenty of examples of that and uh you hope this is just in a long line of succession of yet another offensive lineman they can take and look they're, they're going to need trevor penning to be great uh because james hurst can hold it down for a little bit at left tackle uh but if you want to set up Jameis winston in a situation where he has the best possibility to succeed, he really needs a terrific offensive line to protect him. And so uh, Trevor Penning is in a race against time a little bit here to get acclimated and get ready uh, because they need him to be good and they need him to be good quickly. Also, Doug Marone, Zach Streif are going to be there to help the young fellow along as well and also fix Cesar Ruiz. And it would be great if they could get Pondwater, Andres Pete to actually pass block. Um, but I, I, that'll lead us down a road that we don't have time for. Let's talk no, about – You said it. No, two, two great coaches. I, I agree that from a teaching standpoint, uh, they're in a great situation to develop these players. I'm intrigued by the second-round pick because it shows that they – look, it shows once again what do the Saints value? Versatility. And they, they value somebody that can do multiple things. And the kid that was a high school quarterback turned college wide receiver turned defensive back that played nickel, safety, and corner, 
Gives them a lot of versatility, and we know they love that pipeline from Tennessee. I know it surprised a lot of people, and it may be head-scratching for some, but the head coach is a defensive-minded guy. kind of makes sense that you get a versatile guy that can do multiple things and play special teams, right? Yeah, look, so many things. So first of all, I think he fits the profile with what the Saints look for. And if you hear him speak, uh, you, you understand very quickly that communication is not going to be a problem with this guy. Um, and he, he's highly intelligent and he just comes off really polished and, and really feels seems like he understands his role very well. Uh, great size, great speed. And we know the Saints love that. They love their high RAS scores. Uh, and he certainly qualifies as a raw athletic talent. Uh, that has uh, tremendous abilities. And so he checks kind of all those boxes in terms of the athleticism and the size, the speed, the power. And uh, I do think he'll be good on special teams right away. Uh, to your point about versatility, I think, you know, at times this defense has maybe had guys that had very specific roles, be it Quan Alexander, who is more of a cover linebacker. Um, Marcus Williams is really more of a high safety. And I see some of these additions kind of getting away from that. Uh, you look at Pete Werner, He's a guy that can play the run. He has power. Uh, he can run sideline to sideline, but he can also cover. And so I, I think they're getting more versatile linebackers in the building. And in PJ Williams, Marcus May, Teron Matthew, you have guys that can play in the box. You have guys that can tackle. You got you have guys that can cover the slot, and, and they can also play high safety. So uh, Alante Taylor to me is just another notch in that belt of just kind of trying to get guys that you can move around like chess pieces. And so uh, from one play to the next, you can kind of change your play call, move one guy here, move one guy there, and keep the quarterback guessing in terms of where the blitz might be coming from uh, or who's covering what. So uh, I do think uh, this is in keeping with kind of having versatile players. Elante Taylor is very much one of those. Um, But I will tell you, I I think for me, there was need at other positions. And I I was – you can never have too many corners, but I was a little surprised – when you consider that you have Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who's your nickel, you have Bradley Roby, who's a reserve corner. I was a little surprised to see them go at corner. I knew they did a lot of homework on that position, but I was surprised to see it when you considered some of the other spots they needed help. So just makes I'll just throw this out there. It just makes me wonder a little bit uh, if they feel as good about Paulson Adebo as the fans do. I don't view it that way, though, Andrew. I view it as you can't have enough corners. And the way the league is going – and the fact that you have to play so many more DBs now than you do linebackers, it doesn't surprise me that they're loading up on as many corners as they have. Because remember, a few years ago, they had a lot of injuries to corner, and they suffered because of it. So it doesn't surprise me that 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 they did that. It really doesn't. Plus, as we now know, they already had safety locked up. That deal was probably done before the draft, and both sides agreed that the Honey Badger would wait until after the draft to sign with the Saints. What do you make of that huge deal? Three years, 33 million, 18 mil guaranteed for the 29-year-old and four-time All-Pro. Yeah, well, before I answer your question real quickly, it wasn't that long ago that the Saints' defensive backfield was Delvin Bro, uh, Brandon Browner, uh, Kyle Wilson, oh. D.W. Webb. Oh. Uh, I, I could keep going, you know. So, but uh, Jairus Bird was in that secondary. So Jason the point David. is – you're not going to have to work too hard to convince me that taking a corner is a good idea. <laughs> when you think back to the history of the Saints and uh, what, what that secondary used to look like. So, no, I, I think depth is always important, especially at that position, as you said. Uh, but I, to answer your question, I really viewed Teron Matthews as kind of the missing piece of this defense. Um, obviously, you lose Marcus Williams. 
you acquire Marcus May, but then Malcolm Jenkins retires. So you're getting two new safeties. And I just felt like if you were in a position where you had to start maybe Daniel Sorensen or PJ Williams, I just wouldn't have felt as good about that. And now in Teron Matthew, I mean, they, they had a guy that, my gosh, I mean, immediately comes in and replaces that leadership void left behind by the retirement of Malcolm Jenkins. I think you have a captain in your secondary. Uh, you have a guy that's vocal, a guy that's respected around the league, a guy that's been an all pro two of the last three years, still playing at a really high level. Uh, and this is a big time addition by the Saints defense. And uh, it, it's hard to believe, Raymond, I, and look, at the end of the day, it, it, these games aren't done on paper, and these guys are going to have to step up and they're going to have to play because the reality is Teron Matthew is, is getting closer to 30, and Marcus May is coming off an Achilles injury. So uh, they're, they're going to need to do it on the field, and it remains to be seen how good they can be. But I will say it's, it's unbelievable to me that as we sit here today, the Saints lost Malcolm Jenkins and Marcus Williams in the same offseason and their defensive backfield might actually be better. How crazy is that, man? How absolutely crazy is that? And I, I've said it for weeks leading up to the draft. Trust Mickey. Just just trust Mickey. And Saints fans were panicking. Oh, we're going to do that. I say, trust Mickey. I go, just trust. Now, they did a very – I thought they did very well with the draft. I think getting Honey Badger is great. Is or Are there any other moves you expect the Saints to make here – to solidify any positions. I love the fact that they got the Baylor running back, Andrew, and the fact that they're paying him a guaranteed quarter of a million dollars suggests to me that they believe in him being their number three running back. Are they are they set there, or do they still need to go get another veteran? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Abram Smith out of Baylor. Uh, obviously, as you said, they, they spent a lot to make sure they secured him as an undrafted rookie. Uh, and it's interesting because, yeah, that was the one position that I was thinking of is running back. And w would they go out and maybe add Sonny Michelle or add uh, Philip Lindsay? You know, just a, a veteran that they could at least bring in. They don't promise that player anything. But, hey, you come compete with Tony Jones Jr. Uh, you come compete with Abram Smith. And if Abram Smith wins that job, I think the Saints would prefer that uh, based on his salary and the fact that he's a rookie and you know, he'll, he'll be on the team for several years at that contract if he's good. So, uh, I, I think that's the ideal scenario, but I wouldn't be surprised to see the Saints still bring in a veteran there because, look, if Alvin Kamara gets suspended, they're going to be in a position where they're giving a, a lot of touches to Mark Ingram and they're going to need someone to spell Mark Ingram. So, uh, you know, last year we felt really good about Tony Jones Jr. based on his training camp and his preseason, uh, so much so that the Saints cut Latavius Murray. Uh, but it really never happened during the season. Tony Jones Jr. just never really developed into a guy that, they could count on uh, the times that he played. There wasn't a whole lot of production. And so like, he's going to have to step up and beat out at Abram Smith this time because I think uh, the Saints are really looking for a number three that can produce given the Alvin Kamara situation. So that would be the spot uh, that I would say is most likely. Uh, I still wonder if Quan Alexander makes sense to return as, in a backup role if he would accept that. Uh, I, I still feel like maybe they could get one more receiver I still feel like tight end and guard are spots. So they're, they're, I, I think the Saints roster is at a good place right now, and I think they're okay going into camp with what they have. Um, but there's probably three or four other positions where if they just wanted to add a veteran for competition, uh, they'd be well-served in doing so. Bud, appreciate your time as always. Uh, 
Tell us uh, when you guys are going to be dropping another episode. I know the last one that you did got a lot of great reactions. Some people said it may have been the best one you've ever done. Uh, Yeah, I appreciate it. No, we just had our big show on Monday night, and so uh, that's available wherever you listen to your podcast, so go check it out. Uh, We record once a week our free show, but if you consider becoming a patron, uh, then you get access to our daily shows, uh, which we do every day. Uh, And becoming a patron is easy. Uh, You just go to saintshappyhour.com, and you can find more information there. Bud, appreciate your time. Enjoy your week, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me. Andrew Juge, Saints Happy Hour podcast. You can also read his weekly column, The Saints Happy Hour Breakdown, exclusively at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. we got to take a timeout when we return. Oh, man. Get to know the game. Ha-ha. We're going to unveil some things about ourselves. That's coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. In Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole, say to put in, I don't know, a patio, above ground swimming pool, a below ground swimming pool, landscaping, rose bushes, it doesn't really matter. You run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. And what happens then? Maybe you only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year. And look, there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig and tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service and to promote public safety. Louisiana 811 and the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles remind you call 811 and know what's below before you dig. Welcome back to Way Back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. Oh, killing it with the uh, back in the day hip hop, courtesy of the producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names. True story. When All Eyes on Me came out, myself and a few other guys that I was in high school with, we drove to a neighboring town because we lived in a little town in Illinois of 2,900 people. They did not get things in a timely fashion. When All Eyes on Me dropped, some of us left during our lunch break and drove to Terre Haute, Indiana to like a Tower Records to go buy everyone's CDs or cassettes to get Tupac's. All eyes on me. Yeah. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's what you did back in the day. Speaking of back in the day, that leads us to our get to know the game. We do this every week at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com where I ask the staff, all of our show hosts and producers, a question. And it allows us to reveal a little something about us to you, the listener. Get to know us a little bit more. We've talked about food. We've talked about celebrity crushes. We've talked about sports moments that made you cry. Well, this week, I feel old as hell. (laughs) Because 
Oh, man. I, this week is the week that really stood out. Not the celebrity crushes where mine was like Paul Abdul and Tiffany Amber Thiessen and Clint Domain was a Power Ranger for some reason. I'm not really for sure why. But not not that. But this is the week that stands out to me where I go, damn. Man, I'm so much older than my staff. It is what was your first vehicle? So I'll break it down for you. Mine 1978 Monte Carlo. I love that car. It was my first car. I got it when I was probably about 14 and a half years old. Bought it from an auction for $150. That's right. My first car cost $150. It actually ran that night. My dad got it to run. So we bought it, and then the deal was me and my dad were going to work on it for like the next year and a half, and that's what we did. We kept it in a barn, and we worked on it. So we had to go to junkyards, get a new fender, you know, go buy some new brakes, get a new carburetor, get a new starter, all these things. My dad was, you know, a mechanic, so it was really him doing a lot of the work, and I just handed him tools and, you know, picked up stuff <laughs> and made sure to give him iced tea. But we worked on it together, which was great, because he wanted me to understand what it takes to earn something, right? So we worked on that car, that 78 Monte Carlo. Whew, man, for like over a year. I was so excited. Every time I'd save up a little bit more money to go get something else to add to it, it was a big deal. The The dash was all cracked up because it had been baked in the sun because, you know, this was 1995, 94, 95 when we were working on the car. So, you know, the car was, you know, from 78. So I got like a little rug thing to put on the dash to cover up the, the cracked dash, the whole nine yards. Anytime I could put any money into it, I would. And me and my dad, we used Bondo to fill in holes, and we worked on and I hammered out dents. Really did a great job on it. Primer, you know, we painted, we sanded it down, we primered it, we taped it all off. We go to the store to get the paint, and we order royal blue paint because that's what I wanted because I thought that would look clean as hell on my 78 Monte Carlo. Monte, Monte Carlo. And my dad starts spraying it. And I look at it, and I go, Pops, that looks a little light, huh? He goes, oh, it'll, it'll darken. They gave us the wrong paint. They gave us baby blue paint, like North Carolina powder blue. <laughs> so there I have my 78 Monte Carlo that I've been working on with my dad for like a year and a half, and it's baby blue color. And of course, I got hell. Oh, look at your car. It's go. I said, okay. Well, we know why I love that car so much. By the way, after I got rid of that car, I sold it to a guy who used it as a race car because it had that 305 V8 in it. And at that time, back in the day, he had everyone driving around in what I call the Pawbone Mustangs, those GTs that really only had like a six-cylinder in it. They were all kind of like just crap, just little box Mustangs. Well, you know, they had the real nice sound system in them and everything like that, and they thought they were, you know, hot stuff. And we had nothing to do in a small little town, so it was like American Graffiti, you just, you know, go racing. I can't tell you how many times someone in like a little car like that were like, oh, and they beat me off the, the you know, off the line. I was like, that's great. And then I just opened up the V8 on them and smoked their doors, <laughs> blow their doors right off. People stopped doing that to me, and I stopped, gotten, I stopped getting hell for having a baby blue car. <laughs> I love that car, man. 
That car was awesome. I mean, the baby blue was kind of nice on it, though. I found a picture of it. It was kind of nice. Love that car, man. Oh, that's such a good car. Had to learn how to drive in the snow in that car, too. Ooh, rear-wheel drive. Ooh, boy. That, <laughs> that back end of the car just started going. But I, I go down, you know, it's all nostalgia. Foot the same way. Jordy the same way. And then I look at you youngins. <laughs> all of you are on your still your first car. Nuh-uh. You are on your first car still. I the am. The one out in the parking lot right now is still yes. your first car. Yes. And so Mika's is Mesh. On the second one. <laughs> Migas and Clint are both on their second. Me and, and Mesh are on their first car still. Because you went and you said, what was your first car? I said, well, what was your first car? I mean, you have to have a second one. I don't got that yet. <laughs> um, I actually did find the picture I showed to Ray already of me probably, I think it was like, what, eight or eight or so years old, holding my little brother, who's now going to be 15 at the end of this year. It was only like six months old, holding him in my car that I have now. It was paid off for two years when I got it freshman year. Christine is still working. She is she's running fine. She she's a little old, but she she's great. It's fine. <laughs> so go check it out if you want to know more about the gang here at the game. Go to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com right now and go check out our latest article. Get to know the game. What was your first vehicle? Some good answers here. Some good answers. So go check that out. We also shared it on social media on Facebook and Twitter. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, man, we'll give you an update on the poll question of the day. It's our foodie question of the week. It's coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. May 4th, 1985, Puerto Rican jockey Angel Cordero Jr. wins the 111th Kentucky Derby atop Spend a Buck. The victory at Churchill Downs is the jockey's third Kentucky Derby triumph as he previously won the 1974 and 1976 derbies. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, don't go through another summer with that awful joint pain. Call QC Kinetics right now. Hey, it's Raymond Parts III here. That pain in your back, your knees, and your shoulder, it can now be treated with the latest in precision medicine using natural biologics, growth factors that can restore and repair damaged tissue. Really exciting stuff. QC Kinetics is the nation's leader in regenerative medicine, giving you access right here to this modern-day joint pain solution. You can get lasting joint pain relief with no drugs, no steroids, no downtime, and guess what? No surgery. You've heard Emmett Smith raving about QC Kinetics. You have read or seen other high-profile people talking about it as well. Regenerative medicine at QC Kinetics can help you get your life back. Take action right now. Get a free consultation. Powerful, effective joint pain treatments with natural biologics are here. Call QC Kinetics right now. 337-243-4222. That's 
Let's check in on the poll question of the day before we have to take a timeout. J.R. Jackson from J.R. Sports Brief on CBS Sports Radio will be joining us to close out today's show. Our poll question of the day is our foodie poll question of the week. It's about crawfish. And man, it is. Votes are close on this bad boy today. We asked you, do you suck the heads out of crawfish? Do you suck the heads out of crawfish? Right now, 51% of you say yes. 49% say no. So keep getting those votes in on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll give you the final results before we sign off on today's show and get you set up for Kevin Foote in footnotes. But coming up next, J.R. Jackson, the host of J.R. Sports Brief on CBS Sports Radio, will be joining us. We're going to talk a little draft, a little NBA playoffs. That's coming up next right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Oh, welcome back to a way back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. That's been all about the early 90s hip-hop today. Oh, man, it gets me in a good mood. Takes me back. Reminds me of a simpler time when I was saving my money to buy cassette tapes so I could play it in my uh, Monte Carlo and try to pretend to be cool. I wasn't cool, but boy, I sure did try. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day as well. Leave those comments. But right now, it's time for us to close out today's edition of RP3 and Company and do so with some greatness. He's the host of JR Sports Brief. You can listen to it here weeknights on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. It's our privilege to welcome back to the program the one and only Mr. JR Jackson. JR, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Oh, I'm terrific, Ray. How are you, man? I should have brought my Walkman with me. Oh, man. I had I had the cassette and the CD version, by the way. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I dated myself there, but... Um, yeah. All right, uh, I want to I want to get into NBA playoffs with you, uh, Bud. But I want to get just uh, some thoughts on the NFL draft. I, I don't like doing grades; it, it's not what it's not in my wheelhouse, so to speak, uh, because you're kind of projecting, so to speak. But what surprised you about this year's NFL draft? Was there anything that stood out to you when you were you you went, "Wow, I wasn't expecting that to happen," or like a trend in the draft? Well, yeah, it was the reality that although they said that quarterbacks weren't highly rated, I didn't think that we were only going to have one taken in the first round, that being Kenny Pickett to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, You know, Ritter going out to Atlanta and Malik, then heading out to Tennessee where Ryan Tannehill is obviously not happy. I didn't think that it would take almost uh, 80-something picks by the time we we got to someone like Malik Willis. So that was the big surprise. It seemed that this draft was all about helping out uh, the quarterbacks, regardless of who it was, offensive linemen, wide receivers, et cetera, somebody to go stack the QB. So that was the big surprise. That was a big surprise for me, too, because teams always reach for QB, even if it's a down year, and they didn't. A lot of teams showed a lot of discipline this year, which was surprising. 
of the guys taken, take Pickett out of the situation because he'll have a time to learn behind Mitchell Trubisky and Mike Tomlin is is a phenomenal coach. Of the other guys that were drafted at the quarterback position later, uh, who do you like to have a chance to to make an impact and maybe become a legit starter in the National Football League? Oh, that's that's tough. I think it's it's kind of even. I'm not trying to cop out on the answer. But I think when you look at each guy in their own individual situations, they're going to have a chance to go out there and play. Uh, Ritter, obviously, being down in Atlanta, he's right there with Marcus Mariota. Do I think Marcus is going to be able to last an entire season? Probably not. I think he might be get thrown out there faster than any of us think. Uh, you have Malik Willis for all of the seasoning that everybody says that he will need. I look at Malik and I say, well, he's, he has a lot of versatility as a quarterback, especially for a team that exists to run the football off of Derrick Henry. And so I think Malik has the most upside. Uh, I think it's because of his versatility. He's going to have to improve as a passer. That's going to take time. But the way the NFL works right now, I wouldn't be surprised if you see him back there behind center and uh, you got to pick your poison as to whether or not he's going to run the ball or throw it or whether they're going to hand off to Derrick Henry. And so Ryan Tannehill, he's been able to run play action with Derrick Henry, but we know Ryan Tannehill isn't running anywhere. And so I think Malik might have more of an impact than people think, but it won't be with his arm. A theme that, a trend rather, that developed this offseason was teams trading away their franchise all-pro Pro Bowl wide receivers because they can't afford to pay them, and they trade them to a team that can. And it happened yet again during the draft uh, Lamar Jackson not not too happy about Hollywood Brown leaving, going to Arizona. Obviously, the Cardinals did that because they may have known that may have known that DeAndre Hopkins was going to get suspended for PEDs. But then you also had a stud wide receiver for the Titans get traded to the Eagles. What do you make of this trend this off season, Jr. When it comes to wide receivers, I think it's more about a trend in the league. I mean, there's so much money that's getting thrown around right now. Free agency in the NFL is no more than about 30 years old. And so we've reached, I guess, the the maturation process of players having power and influence to say, I don't care what my contract looks like. I've outperformed it. Trade me. You know, A.J. Brown, uh, a second-round draft pick, and, you know, he's making pennies in comparison to what other guys were making, and now he's in that range of $25 million as one of the best in the league. And so I think it's a power play. And we have a lot of players who understand their position and they want to get paid and they don't want to wait on their rookie deals and they want to get paid like everybody else, like me, like you. And they're pushing the buttons to say, I want to go. Uh, It's almost like the NBA. You're going to have more NFL players dictating where they want to go. And the wide receivers, they see the value. They're like, hey, screw the rookie deal. Give me my money now. We're talking with J.R. Jackson. He's the host of J.R. Sports Brief on CBS Sports Radio weeknights. And you can listen to that, of course, right here on the game. All right, bud, let's switch over to the NBA playoffs. What'd you make of what you saw out of Boston last night? They actually showed some fight and they, you know, they they beat down the Bucks who beat them down in game one. Do you think this is going to be a six, seven game series now? I thought from the get-go it was going to be a six- or, or seven-game series. I'm still going to take the Bucks despite that whooping that they put on the Bucks last night. They had a, a 
course, shooting night by the Bucks, and you had an amazing shooting night by the Boston Celtics. I mean, Jalen Brown started off, and, and I think he finished 5-5 five of five from downtown overall. I mean, the previous game on Sunday, he only had 12 points. Uh, so he's likely going to be somewhere in the middle the rest of the series. Maybe the next game on Saturday, he drops 20 or 25. So... Uh, he's an all-star player. Tatum is an all-star player. They did that last night without Marcus Smart. They're a good team. These are two very good teams. I don't subscribe to the fact that somebody's going to get wiped out. They're going to be fighting regardless of, of who's out there. And I, I just don't see the Bucks playing this bad uh, the next go-round. The other series that intrigues me and I think is going to be absolute, could be possibly legendary, and that's this Golden State-Memphis series. Because you have Memphis that is ascending. John Morant is trying to stake claim to be one of the best players in the league. 47 points last night, JR. And the Warriors have retooled by adding some pieces and finally getting healthy. They still are trying to get another chip on the resume. It's already salty. We already have some fouls. We already have a player injured. Fans are being involved. Oh, What do you make of what we're seeing between Memphis and Golden State? Oh, yeah, it's- it's going to be good. Uh, Memphis is the second youngest team in the NBA. And, you know, every now and then you have a, a young team that jumps ahead of the, the veteran group and kind of lays their claim. And it would be absolutely amazing if Memphis did that right now. I'm going to lean towards the veteran squad. I'm going to go with the experience factor here with the Golden State Warriors that they've been through this. Uh, you mentioned John Moran. Yeah, he's absolutely insane. They Nobody could stop him yesterday. 47 points. He had 18 of those points in the fourth quarter, uh, and he scored 15 of the Memphis final points to close things out. And uh, <laughs> Golden State had an awful shooting night. They were, I think, 7 of 38 from three. It's not the Splash Brothers. And so I-, I think we're in for a tough series. They're really beefing right now. Gary Payton broke his elbow. And so it's going to be tough, it's going to be physical, and it's, it's going to be a fun watch. This is the series to really pay attention to. Uh, but I still think we'll see the, the Warriors and the Suns in the Western Finals. I'm glad you brought up the Suns because they get tested by the Pelicans in the first round, which I think is the worst thing that could happen for Dallas because now Phoenix is going to be refocused. I love Luka. He is a scoring machine, unstoppable nearly. But Dallas doesn't have any other dudes that can step up to help them. And then I look over in the East at the other series. Without Embiid, the 76ers' best player, it doesn't really look like they got a chance against Miami. Which one of those series do you think is going to be the more competitive? Oh, man. Uh, probably more competitive, probably uh, maybe the Sixers. At least the Sixers have some dogs. And we know James Harden is not one of those dogs. But they're going to fight. With the Dallas Mavericks, they might as well be called Luka and Friends. Jason Kidd actually had to talk about his team and said he hopes somebody else shows up to the party. So we know the Suns are going to run the Mavs out of the gym. But I find the Sixers, that series, to be more competitive. But we know with no Joel Embiid with a broken face and if and whenever he comes back from his concussion symptoms, they're going to be in too deep of a hole. And James Harden, he just looks interested in a – I don't know, having a couple of donuts and going to the strip club. So uh, it's not it's not looking good for the Sixers right now. JR, appreciate the time, brother. I know you're immensely busy. Have a great show tonight and can't wait to bring you back on and talk to you soon, bud. Anytime, Ray. You just hit me up. Thank you so much. Have a good one, bro. 
That's J.R. Jackson, host of J.R. Sports Brief, which you can listen to weeknights right here on the game, courtesy of CBS Sports Radio. Final results of our poll question of the day before we sign off here on this Way Back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. We asked you, we asked you an important question. Do you suck the heads out of boiled crawfish? And with 70 votes in, it's 50-50. 50-50. The rare tie on our foodie poll question of the day. 50% of you say, yes, you do. 50% say, no, you do not. Right down the middle. I love it. Ken on Twitter says, nope. We're going to leave the sucking to the native. <laughs> man. Oh, man. Thanks for all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thank you for who all who left their comments. Also, thank our guests, Ron Higgins from Tiger Details, Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour Podcast, and J.R. Jackson from J.R. Sports Brief. For the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Pars III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.